I'm Randy. One day while cleaning out the closet of my old bedroom, I stumbled upon a three-part time capsule I'd made in 1998 when I turned 13. I meticulously detailed every part of my life, from an itemized list of school crushes to a report on the top five trends that year. Obviously, Tamagotchi, hair mascara, and blow-up chairs were among them. It's hilariously delusional and heartwarming as fuck. So join me as I look back at all the things that made growing up in the 90s so rad. And together we'll unbox Capsule 98. So welcome back to the seventh episode of of Capsule 98, the podcast that goes inside my brain circa 1998 when I was 13. And the, the most impressionable. Uh, we are do- and most impressionable, which is relevant to today's topic. We are doing a special live episode, the first live episode ever of this podcast, Care of the Gap. And the Gap has brought back the most iconic decade in our lives for the new collection called Logo Remix, which is a collection that is all about bringing back the most iconic logos of the 90s, logos of the Gap in a new collection. So today we are joined by the one of the biggest influences in the 90s. Whether or not you knew her or not, her name is Mona May. She is the costume woo. <laughs> she is the costume designer behind I'm just going to list a very long list of movies that you've been personally impacted by and you're going to just start crying while I'm talking. <laughs> she is the costume designer behind Clueless. Woo! <laughs> Clueless, Romeo and Michelle. <laughs> Everybody at home is also doing that, right? Uh, <laughs> Romeo and Michelle, Never Been Kissed, Night at the Roxbury, uh, The Wedding Singer, and there are more movies that are not even in the 90s, which were also hugely inspirational. Enchanted, The House Bunny. <laughs> like movies, basically these are all movies that have informed my personal style. So welcome Mona May. Thank you everybody. Great to be here. Yeah, so you yeah, you joined us from LA. How yes. how how are you finding Toronto? It's cold. But I see fashionable people, so that's what matters. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh so okay, starting yeah, I mean, I would like to say that you personally inspired my style without me knowing. Uh, how do you feel about, all, about, about that style coming back and 90s nostalgia being so prevalent? Well, I think it's certain kind of 90s that's coming back. You know, it was interesting. We were talking about it earlier. And, uh, you know, Clueless, it's, it, I think it's more of the stylish 90s. I think that there is some 90s clothes that we may never want to see again. But uh, <laughs> I think it's it's the f- exuberance of just fun. You know, I think the colors and, and it's, it, I think it was so much more free when we were wearing clothes then. You know, I mean, it just, there was no internet. There was no Instagrams. We were just kind of, you know, it was true style in a sense. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that we can bring some of that back. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so starting at the beginning, how did your journey to costume designing start? Well, I was always a fashion designer since year five I was always dressing friends and mom and remaking their wardrobe uh, drawing and um, ended up in studying in Europe and New York then ended up in Los Angeles and a bunch of my friends were in film schools and they were like hey do you want to design my little movie I'm like sure I can do it (laughs) and it kind of the rest is history I love the process I love the collaboration uh with the director reading the script really finding the characters and you know who they are it's not just about the clothes but it's diving deeply you know to the to the 
psychology of the person, which is really fun. Uh, and Clueless was interesting enough. I mean, kind of married both of my fashion and uh, love of costume design, you know, in one film, which was quite amazing. How did you dress back then? Uh, I was kind of punk rock. You know, I grew up in Berlin, and, you know, I was a little bit hardcore. I, I think I, I, I was more grunge with punk rock than, you know, a pretty girl. <laughs> and what was your first gig? Oh, my God. I think I, I worked for MTV when MTV was just starting out. I think Debbie Gibson video is somewhere over there, there Run DMC. Uh, then I did a silly show called Just Say Julie that was also on MTV in the 90s. Um, just weird jobs, a lot of commercials. And um, then I met Emmy Herkeling on a, on a pilot, which was amazing, you know. And pilot never got picked up, but I just... We loved each other from the moment we met, and really creatively, kind of, we were completely in sync. And okay, yeah. So getting back to Clueless, so that started. She had the concept and came to you with how much of it formulated. Uh, well, we talked about it. Uh, she was writing the script, and she really loved that. You know, I grew up in Europe. That I have fashion background. That something that she was looking for. Uh, for the script and once the script was written you know she called me is ready Mona let's do it and you know we started brainstorming and really talking about the each of the characters um, who they represented you know I mean they, they were living in LA they were rich girls but they were also in high school you know so that was really important to the process of you know finding who they are um, to not to make them kind of like supermodels on the runway, you know, to really make them a real characters, that was really important. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, one of the famous lines of the movie is, you know, you're just a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> and uh, and Brittany Murphy, <coughs> Brittany Murphy later in an interview had said, like at the time, I was actually a virgin who couldn't drive. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so what, you know, what about a real high school student came through in the movie for you? Versus, you know, these, like you're saying, like these ideal supermodels who were just wearing fashion. And how, do, how did you create that real aesthetic? Well, I think, you know, what Amy wanted is that the clothes themselves are kind of like a character in the film. So that was really important that, you know, the fashion kind of flows through. And, you know, at the time in the 90s, we didn't have internet. So, you know, my research really was to buy these big collectioni books and, you know, live through the pages and, you know, find what was going on at the time in Paris and Milan and London and, you know, pick the things that could really work for these girls, for, you know, Dion specifically and Cher, you know, what, what can I bring and then really cipher through the high school, you know, their character. Um, the color palette was very important to Amy as well, you know, it was, we used very little black, you know, no brown or beiges at all. There's not none of that in the movie. So taking that high fashion and then really, really bringing it back to the, to the high school, you know. So what th comes to mind is plaid skirt. How can you make plaid skirt on acid? You know, you take it to the <laughs> another level with yellow and put sharing it in the beginning of the movie. Mm. Um, but I think what was really important too that we didn't get stuck in the 90s, you know, that we really didn't, didn't make the movie kind of like stale when it came out. I mean, at the time we, we talked about it, I went to a bunch of high school in LA and pretty much everybody was wearing grunge, you know, so it was big giant t-shirts for the girls with, like, you know, plaid shirts. I mean, it was Kurt Cobain time. 
Um, so we really were starting completely from zero. There was nothing really that we were emulating. We were completely making something new. Um, I mean, we were really pioneering, you know, mm-hmm. something something super fresh. And it was really exciting, you know. And it, I mean, Cher is kind of the, the mouthpiece of that, you know, like, I don't want to be a traitor to my generation. <laughs> and there's this, you know, splash of those guys right. in that aesthetic that you're talking about, that exactly. grunge, like, you know, butt exposed, all exactly. that stuff, and she's really like on another another echelon. Exactly. Which, so, which yeah. I think another echelon is something that's very kind of classic too. You know, something that um, we all would love, and maybe that's part of the staying power of the film too. That the fashion really didn't get so old. You know, that mm. really there's. I mean, we talk. We are here at Gap Store. You know, we're talking about how Gap has been around. You know, for so many years, fifty years next year, and. Uh, how those kind of quintessential pieces really work for everybody. You know, I mean, the peacoat, the beret, the plaid skirt, little cardigan, um, I mean, sweater vests. We use so many sweater vests in the movie. You know, stuff that's kind of our staples in, the, in, the, in our wardrobes, but mm. also very feminine, very pretty. Um, and that was important in the film, to really make it pretty, to make it girly. You know, mm. there was nothing like it out there at that time. I mean, it was just kind of like sad and boring, <laughs> and we want to bring the girls back. How does Cher, you know, Cher's, I mean, the movie entirely is like another level of fashion, but how does Cher differ from the other characters? And did working with Alicia Alicia Silverstone sort of change, you know, what role did she have in creating Cher? Well, Alicia was so beautiful. I mean, you know, anything you put on her, you were just like swooning over. well, you know, she's the leader of the pack. I mean, she really is is the most popular girl in, the, in high school, so she gets the best things, of course. And Dion was so different, so even though she was, you know, on her level, she's so much more funky and weird, and, you know, it's a different skin color. So mm-hmm. we could really play off that um, in designing the characters, uh, where, you know, Cher is the pretty blonde with her little, you know, kind of, prissy outfits with her little A-line, A-line dresses with the cup sleeves and always everything is matching the shoes as you know Dion was the wild one and we could use the bright pinks and yellows and you know she exposed much more of her skin um, and you know kind of was was much more influenced by vintage stuff as well mm. Dion which was really great we talked about kind of how that that came about I, it's it's funny that you say that Dion's the crazy one because to me like Amber is the fa- is well the, that's the all crazy level. fashion play right right well Amber was kind of Ambular. fashion victim yeah that's true so although I probably am very inspired by her oh we all were <laughs> I know I I mean my favorite outfit was the peepee long stocking with the you know wire in her hair and the stripe leggings and you know her body was perfect we could pretty much do anything with her and it looked fabulous mm-hmm. and she was such game too i mean all the girls really you know we we got into it we didn't have a lot of money we didn't have a lot of budget it was 8 weeks to prep and i mean 60 changes for Alicia Silverstone you know 50 changes for Dion and then the other girls and i had to dress the extras and everybody else because nobody wore this clothes mm-hmm. so we had to really create everybody's looks UK, I, I would like you to clar- clarify something yes. for me. You said that there wasn't a huge budget. Um, I read that the you know the Calvin Klein dress, you know where the where dad, the dad mm-hmm. asks, you know, what are you wearing, and mm-hmm. she's like, it's Calvin Klein. Uh, and that dress, that dress was so iconic that it was re-released <coughs> by the brand in 2010. But I read that that dress itself wasn't actually Calvin Klein. Is that true? No, it's it's not true. Oh, it's not true. No. Okay. That that's bedroom or. 
fake. It was fake actually. News. I mean, I don't think they could release it. It wasn't their dress. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I read that the one that you used was. Yeah. Okay. I, I, so how does that's another question that I have for you? How does it work? You know, because you were the first movie, because you're the first mainstream teen movie mm-hmm. to really address fashion in such a fashion-forward mm-hmm. way. What did the fashion industry kind of like? Nowadays, it's so normal for a designer to loan for a music video or whatever. Like, how did they kind of respond, and how did you get Before things that after. looked like designer? I mean, while you, both. I mean, nobody knew about us. Yeah, there was no PR firms. There was nobody was sending us boxes of clothes. There were unknown actors at the time. We got nothing basically. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really, it, it really wasn't like now. You know, and so it was hard. I mean, just getting the Alaya dress, we had to like, you know, borrow it and, you know, clean the floor where she had to lay down and like, you know, with toothbrush so it doesn't get any, you know, so we could return in a pristine way because we couldn't afford whatever, $2,500 at the time. It was a lot of money. Mm. Um, So after, you know, it was really great. I mean, when the movie came out and the timing was right and how it was received, of course, Women's Were Daily, you know, wrote a huge article. I mean, Karl Lagerfeld, there was articles in Vogue. I mean, you know, things went crazy. Yeah. But it wasn't so before. I mean, it really... I read that Karl Lagerfeld was particularly into the the Chanel water bottle and the Chanel cell phone case, which is crazy because now... Those are things that are not only, you know, created by Chanel, but created by every brand, like Moschino and every other knockoff brand. So would you would you take credit for that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they were at the gym, standing by the chaining fans, they had their water bottles and the cell phone holders. So another thing that I that I read, and now that I'm just like regurgitating cl- clueless facts that I read on the internet to you, uh, so I read <laughs> I read that Cher wore 53 different kinds of plaid. Was that intentional, or is that just somebody counting that? I think somebody like counting that. I. It wasn't really my intention to count the plaids or how many. <laughs> or like um, you don't have any special feelings towards plaid. Uh, of course I have special feelings <laughs> for the plaid. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, plaid is amazing. I mean, plaid is timeless. And I mean, something about a schoolgirl in plaid. I mean, which guy doesn't like a girl in a school plaid? You know, <laughs> but uh, again, we were taking it to another level, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it was the theme in the movie. I mean, it really were the kind of quintessential things that you would gravitate to you know, when you were in school and you were fashionable, mm-hmm. you know, um, like I said, pea coats and stuff like that. That's really just, you know, I mean, I have one, mm-hmm. probably most of you have one. So after Clueless, you went on to, you were, you were the costume designer for Clueless, the TV show. Yes. Which is like just a vague memory. And I, raise your hand in, the, in this room if you remember that show. Okay. Yeah. There was like some intense, like <laughs> hand raising. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is funny because now obviously it, it didn't really carry through the way that Clueless, the movie did, but right. how did that was there a different process there, or was it sort of just keeping that vision going for a TV uh, show? Different process, definitely. I mean, TV is much faster. You know, you don't have the budgets. You don't have the time. Um, everything is kind of squeezed into that hour that you have to shoot over one week. Um, the money definitely was a you know, big problem. And you really can't get this amount of clothes from designers, you know. So you really have to kind of improvise and, mm-hmm. you know, make it make it work and also at this time the movie came out and the fashion caught on so it wasn't really so revolutionary at that point you know mm-hmm. I mean it really was kind of clueless look that mm-hmm. we were emulating uh, in the TV show so I stayed for the first season because Emmy Heckling was there and then I actually gave the job to my assistant designer mm-hmm. and you know I was consulting on the second season which was really fun but it's just kind of to me it lost 
its its thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the movie brought to everybody. I mean, it was really so special. Mm-hmm. It, there were cool characters, but you know, it didn't have that momentum anymore. Yeah. Although that really was the age of, of continue, uh, continuing a concept on TV. That doesn't really right. happen in the same way. I mean, and now, now it does happen with reboots, but it was sort of a different era of creating mm-hmm. sort of these strange, like, you know, watered-down versions, but still, like, as a kid, you would have been right. obsessed with it. Right. I so, mean, it's yeah. hard for me. It's hard to not see Alicia Silverstone in that role. You know? Yeah. I mean, she's just... Although, shout-out to Rachel Blanchard. Yeah. She's Canadian. That's yeah. true. <laughs> she's, yeah. She did a good job. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so you... What, what was the... How long did, before it came out did you create Clueless? I'm sorry? How long before it actually was released in theaters were you working on Clueless? It was a very short prep. It was about eight weeks. Not a lot of time, not a lot of money. Um, you know, really, really being as creative as you can to make that happen in that short of a time with that many changes, you know, and trying to create something that's completely fresh and new, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that sometimes kind of not having enough money is the mother of invention, too, because in a, in a sense it helped me to create that very fresh look of the time, which was the high end and low end. You know, I mean, we had some of the designer stuff. We thrifted a lot, so we kind of mixed that together, and that created something very fresh. I mean, at the time, everybody was wearing either grunge or head-to-toe designer, and that was really cool. You know, that, that really kind of happened in a real natural way, too, um, but it was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work. And, you know, you had actors who also were very young. I mean, Alicia Silverstone was a hippie running around with her dogs and her sweatpants. So we had to actually kind of coach her how to wear the clothes, you know, how to become Cher. I mean, she never had designer clothes on, on her or anything, any, anything close to the <laughs> stockings and Mary Jane's. Mm-hmm. I'm, j- I'm like Faclem just thinking about it. I just love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> so after, okay, so after Clueless, your next big thing was Romy and Michelle. Mm-hmm. So like when Clueless came out and it was such a hit, did you kind of become this like fashion girl in the movie community? Completely. Okay. I mean, it opened oh, wow. every door. I mean, it was yes. great. I mean, you know, I didn't have an agent when I got Clueless. I had to make my own deal. And, you know, once Clueless came out and not only the fashion industry opened the doors, but also, you know, I got a great agent. I mean, I was, sent, wow. I was, you know, sent scripts and stuff. So it really, it was a great moment, you know, really a great break too, since really it was the beginning of my career. And you were saying that we, when we spoke before, you were saying that the, you know, working with Amy, Amy Heckerling, Heckerling on Clueless was a collaboration, whereas the, the uh, director of Romy and Michelle really didn't give a shit about fashion. It was like your choice. He was a dude. Yeah. He just was like, you know, <laughs> totally into just the script. And he came from animation. You know, he just wore a T-shirt and jeans every day to work with tennis shoes. And <coughs> I got lucky in a sense. I, I really was able to, you know, it was me, Mira and, and Lisa in a fitting room just going crazy. Let's and do it. Okay, <laughs> crazier earrings. Yes. <laughs> and so, <coughs> so obviously, to the earlier point, like they had a huge, you know, Lisa Kudrow and Mira Servino would have had a huge role in creating those characters and yeah. what they wore. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, working with Lisa was a dream because she's a comedian and she really took on, took on that part of kind of a valley girl, you know, a California girl, somebody who was also making their own clothes and you know, probably thrifting on their own and, you know, doing the high end when they can and then, you know, cheaping out when they have to and mixing it in a fresh way. She really was fantastic. Mira was a little bit more, you know, at the time she actually got the Oscar 
uh, from Mighty Aphrodite. So she was a little bit like, oh, now I have to play this weird part. Okay, how do I? But it, it, weirdly enough, it kind of worked because she was a little bit, you know, ostentatious. Lisa was so vivacious. You know, it kind of worked for the character quite well. And, you know, it, re it was reflected in the fashion for mm -hmm. them. So <coughs> the color palette... You know, Mira was a little bit more masculine, as Lisa was always the exuberant, fun, pinky, boa. You know, the chain mail dress over a snake skin, and, and oh you know, it just went on and on. Thank you so much. It just went on and on and on. I mean, what was great about that movie that, you know, it was kind of like the grown-up Clueless Girl. So it was a little sexier, you know, we could kind of go a little further with it. Uh, I mean, they were going to clubs and doing doing fun stuff. Um, but like kind of literally clueless, whereas the people yes. in clueless are not really right. clueless. Okay, <laughs> uh, can we just talk about their their gym looks? Like, oh what, my god, what is that? I made all those outfits. <laughs> we just had to do it. We just had to go all the way. I mean, seriously. We. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, even now you couldn't buy anything so fun. It had to match their characters. It has to be spandex. It had to be shiny, very low cut, especially when they're on those bikes. You know, you want to. <laughs> I mean, it was all premeditated, which was really fun. Yeah. The so, okay, so like you mentioned, shiny spandex, like shiny pastel spandex, is something that I have never been able to find, and it's like all I dream about. Come to LA. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that, like what? Okay. How do how do I get that? Come to LA is basically your answer. I'll take you. Okay, fuck yeah. We can uh, find we can find it. We can find it. And I was I was telling Mona earlier that when uh, when Romy and Michelle came out and those two iconic looks, you know, the, like from the end of the movie where uh, where Lisa Kudrow is wearing the pink with the boa mm -hmm. and uh, and Mira Sorvino is wearing the blue with the with the Star Trek and mm -hmm. whatever the hell that is. Okay. And at the time, CoverGirl simultaneously came out with this like shimmery eyeshadow that you could stencil on your face. And I like it was probably like the first thing I bought with my allowance. And I was just like literally drawing like blue pastel shimmer onto my face because I wanted to look like that. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, like what? Okay, so that leads me to another question. Like, what did you create those looks, or did you buy those? Like, you create could, you those never looks. buy those. You looks. have to create those looks. Okay. I mean, it was really important that throughout the movie you felt like they made their clothes. You know, it really, it had to feel it was homemade, um, high fashion. Mm -hmm. But and you know, not that we were planning to be iconic in that sense to make those dresses, but it had to be very strong, kind of feeling. You know, when they coming out. Again, you're trying to support the script all the time. What's happening to this character? You know, what is the arc of the character? Where are they going? You know, now they, you, you, you know, they came to the high school. They lied about the post-its, right? In their suits, that they were businesswomen, <laughs> getting their business lunch. Businesswomen uh, special. Businesswomen special. <laughs> um, so it was really important that they, they were themselves. They were truly kind of now. They were like, fuck it, we are here. This is us. You know, completely. This is who we are. And I think the simplicity of the dresses was really important. So it's not overdone, it's not overfashioned. And it was interesting because the I had the Mira dress made, <clears throat> and then Lisa's dress was actually made out of chiffon. It was similar kind of shape. And when we put the two dresses together, it just didn't work. You know, Lisa's dress kind of like died. So in the last minute, we changed her dress to also spandex. So it was shiny, we added the boa, and it was it, it, you just knew that this is it. Where is that rejected one? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know what? I get those questions all the time. Where are the clueless clothes? Where are the. I Where? Mean, it's so many years. Gone. 
forever. That's disgusting. I hate that. I know. But, <laughs> we, somebody would pay good money for that yellow suit now. Everybody would pay good money for that. Yeah. Like, poor, like, I, yeah. Anyway. I know. I told Arisha, come on, you didn't have it in your contract to keep all the clothes? She's like, I don't even know. Yeah, like, don't you know that your name isn't even Alicia anymore? It's just Cher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and another person who, I'm going to bring up, like, <coughs> supporting characters. Another person who I love in that movie is Heather Mooney. Oh, my God. Janine Garofalo. Oh. Like, my most favorite gif of all time of her spitting out her soda. Um, <laughs> she was so much fun. I mean, she was really, really into the clothes like okay I just wanted to wear it all black I wanted to be like this I want to wear galoshes I want to you know she was so into like really knew specifically what that is so we were she's so cool like so cool she's supposed to be this kind of like outsider character but she's just like amazingly cool amazing and I mean the, the funniest thing is at the end when she has to put the dress so we kind of specifically made it really obnoxious with the lemons yeah totally oh my god (laughs) she wanted to kill me which was great Love it. Yes. So moving on to like, I feel like I'm just going to move on through this like amazing canon of, of 90s movies, but moving on as we have to, uh, never been kissed slash the wedding singer, Drew Barrymore. I I love Drew. I'm just working with her on, on Santa Clarita diet right now. Casual. Finished season two. (laughs) She's so cool. I mean, it's, it's great to really have that history with someone, you know, it's really wonderful. Just like tell, keep going. <laughs> like what else? Like our dogs play together in a fitting and she has two adorable daughters and you know she's super down to earth. It's really wonderful. You know, it's 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 amazing to see someone who has been in the business for so long from a child to kind of survive it and thrive and you know, I mean she's a businesswoman. She's doing bare more wines and she has the sunglasses and makeup and now she's doing line of clothes and you know, producing and starring in the TV show and it's she can handle it all, you know, wow. in a great way. Yeah. Bravo. She's the shit. She's the shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, one of the things, uh, one of the most iconic looks from Never Been Kissed is sort of when she's wearing that feather boa, like tie <laughs> shirt, which, you know, in the movie, the whole point of her wearing that is that, like, she's made fun of and, right. you know, and everybody thinks right. she's such a loser, which is insane right. because that's, like, the look. Is that some sort of, like, did you guys have some sort of <coughs> mes- message about conformity? And well, I think, it was, again, you know, as a costume designer, I have to take the whole movie, the whole script under consideration. So it's wh- how is the whole character, what's the arc of character? You know, we, we begin with her, with being a very mousy, ugly girl, very insecure. And then we, you know, take her on this crazy journey to high school, and she has no clue what the high school kids are wearing. So this is her idea of maybe what they how cool that is, right? And it's so high high and crazy because we want to come down from there to the end when she really finds herself and become kind of this, you know, true to herself in the pink dress when she's going to, you know, waiting for the kiss. So it's important, I think, for me to tell the story with, with the clothes, you know? So certain things, and it's funny because we, we talked about it too, like in comedies, you have to be very careful that the clothes don't wear the actor, and then it just kind of becomes way too big, and it's, you know, what, what's happening? It's, it, the costume is really saying everything and not what the actor is playing. But in that case, we wanted to go wild. We mm-hmm. wanted to go big. And I think the physical comedy of the boa getting stuck in a taxi, you know, the big lemon purse, it's like, you know, the weird hair. I mean, it just, it just didn't go together at all. But that was really what was important, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
and it became iconic, iconic, which is crazy. Yeah, another another look that I would absolutely wear. Uh, but you know, again, <laughs> the thing is, we don't think about it when we we working, when we when we prepping, when yeah. we you know creating this stuff. It's like we are in the midst of it, just you know brainstorming, and you know how does it what, what will be great, and you know fittings are really amazing. I mean, that's kind of something that I love in my process of of designing is because that's when truly something comes to fruition. You know, you can have all these ideas what you're gonna do, and you know beautiful boards that you make and tear sheets and stuff like this but unless you have the clothes in the room and the actor is trying it on that's when you can figure out what's going to happen you know it may on some other body or maybe somebody super tall that whole outfit could have been just crazy you know turn into a drag queen or whatever but it, it just really worked also iconic also iconic, of course. <laughs> um, but it's it's just pretty amazing in, in the fitting room when it happens and it's right. It's a really beautiful moment. You know, you really know that this is right. Mm -hmm. The director is there, the actress is there, you know, I'm there, and it's like it's palatable that it's happening. And that's really cool. That's something that in my process is really, you know, makes me happy. And another thing that you were saying is like at the time you obviously didn't know like what these decades would become, but interestingly with The Wedding Singer and with Never Been Kissed, you're kind of toggling back and forth between like 80s and mm -hmm. 80s and 90s, you mm -hmm. know, like young young kids in the 80s and then, you know, current right. day in the 90s. Right. And how do you, like, was there any conscious decision about approaching a decade in a certain way? Well, I think that, you know, everybody has their own point of view. So that's my point of view, you know, my filter. And I think that's kind of, my filter in all of these movies, you know, how I perceive fashion, and then I turn my my perception into the script and into the characters. You know, I think that you kind of see the through line of of you know what's the Monome look in a sense. You know, I'm very girly. I'm you know I'm a feminist in a say. I really I'm exuberant. I love color. So all of that is always taken into consideration. You mm -hmm. know, certain things that I don't like or I like that I would show in the '80s or '90s, and some things that I really personally decide not to because it doesn't really please my aesthetics, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's uh, how I make the decisions, you know, based definitely based on script, but that's, you know, then my pref personal preference. Mm -hmm. And another really, uh, you know, I mentioned before Heather, Heather Mooney from Romy and Michelle. Uh, an another thing that you do really well, and you've done this across many of your movies, is create that, like, bitchy, popular girl look. And they always have this, like, you know, prissy pastel like it, it's it's in the it's in it's in never been kissed it's right. in romeo and michelle like it, house bunny yeah house bunny yeah oh god let's get to that <laughs> um, yeah i mean do you like how do you how do you how do you make someone like hot but hateable i don't know how i do it i have no idea <laughs> maybe it's like in my nightmares i see them and i'm like okay but i'm gonna make fun of you somehow um it's like an ultimate revenge i think so i think so <laughs> You know, I think it's, again, it's the actor, it's the script, it's what's happening, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's the skin tone, it's their body, it's, it's everything that, you know, what are the other actors are wearing. I mean, in movies like Clueless and, you know, Rami and Michelle, you always have to take into consideration what the other girls are mm -hmm. wearing and how do you, you know, put it together that it's pleasing aesthetically when they're in the scene and where are they and, and what's happening. So it's, it's, it's a lot of things to, you have to work with, you know, I mean, what couch are they going to be sitting on? And, you know, all that information has to get filtered down to me. And sometimes I'm the last one to hear that, you know, the couch got changed to green and somebody was wearing green. So, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think that's part of being designers, being on your toes and really being adaptable. You know, you, you can't, you want to have your vision and you want to fight for it, but at some point it has to be liquid too. 
because you have no control. It is a very collaborative process, you know, to the end. I mean, to the end when you see the movie and things could get cut out that you just loved or it was the best and you're like, oh, you know, we worked so hard on this dress. Or, you know, in a, in a sense, like in Romy and Michelle, when we kind of were designing, I was designing the dress for Lisa and then we looked at it and just went, oh, that's not really working. So how do we now adapt it? You know, what, what would be better? Mm-hmm. And you dress most, I mean, the, the biggest you know, the main characters of the movies that you've done predominantly are women, mm-hmm. um, except for Night at the Roxbury, a criminally underrated <laughs> movie. Uh, how was it to, cre- <clears throat> to create for uh, Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell, who are, you know, as you mentioned, they, they mm-hmm. move around a lot. They're like physical right, comedy as well right, as like coming right. out of their mouth. But how do you create that look for men? Well, again, the, the, what was great about that movie, Emmy Heckling, the director of Clues, was involved in, in this film, which was really great. So... Uh, uh, she had personal interest in the film, but uh, it it was like my clueless girls, but the guys, you know. I mean, in the way it was, it was. We had a very specific color palette that we had to. We didn't want to do dark colors because they were always in clubs. So the the suits became kind of you know, bright uh, night looks for them. Um, it, they did move constantly, so you know when we started doing the fittings, the, the stuff was ripping. So we ended up doing stuff out of like <laughs> stretchy materials that I found in in I think where was it from like the Japan garbage. or somewhere, you know. So it was like <laughs> it's funny, uh, but they had to be tight. Everything had to be very tight, and. What was fun too when you're working with guys, they kind of don't really know about fashion. So you again, you have to kind of teach them. You know, those guys were comedians; mm-hmm. they didn't really wear this kind of stuff before. So it was great. That, you know, the the sheer tops. Oh, the I mean, the best. My the best. best. Mo- my best moment on that movie was when I had to make those underwear. They went to the beach. <laughs> so I'm on my knees, like you know, trying to make because they're like, show more cheeks, show more cheeks. So I'm like, you know, cutting with the scissors, going, okay, this is the weirdest moment in my career right now. You know, and but that's you know it's it's so different to work with comedians too because they don't take themselves so seriously and they just will go for it. You know, they'll make themselves look weird. They they it's it, there is less vanity mm-hmm. in a sense, which is so much more fun for a costume designer. You know, you can just kind of go out there and be crazy. That's how Lisa Kudrow was too. She's like, yeah, let's do the cherry earrings and cherry necklace and you know, there was there was, nothing was stopping us. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, I also love the scene, the, the, the like the 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 dance scene, uh, like oh the choreographed God. dance scene with Alyssa, Alyssa Donovan, who's who's uh, Amber from Clueless. Yeah, like that is also <laughs> like to me like nineties oh dance God. outfits. Oh my God, I just died. Those like, skirts were so short. I was just like, okay, we're just gonna see the whole butt right now. You know, it was <laughs> so funny. And so okay, so recent, so recently, more recently, not '90s, still actually a decade mm-hmm. ago, shockingly, um, you did Enchanted, oh. which is a, another personal favorite. Like you basically just made all my favorites. You'll, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I just, didn't dress Madonna. Yeah, you didn't dress Madonna. That would have been the only thing that I would have just like died happy tonight. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> um, but yeah, Enchanted. Like, how is it to do like completely? That's the other end of the spectrum. Like doing fantasy and Disney, you know, like you're not getting, you're not buying clothes, you're not creating mm-hmm. sort of real life clothes. How, how did the, that process happen? It's a designer's dream. I mean, to really, you know, be able to reinvent iconic char- Disney characters, wow, you know, and kind of give them new life and go and research in a Disney vault, you know, and see the drawings from 1950s and 60s oh of God. princesses and, um, you know, have the 
time, like six months of drawing and, you know, making the fabrics and fittings and, you know, working with, I mean, Amy Adams was just unbelievable, you know, when she put the kind of the first pattern of the big dress, we were just like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And um, also what I loved about that movie too is that it was animation and live action. And that was very interesting and kind of, I did a little bit of CGI design on Stuart Little where I designed all the mouse clothes as well, which was really fun. <laughs> so this was a little bit different of a uh, work because we went from 2D animation to live action. But what was interesting is taking these kind of cartoon characters, you know, like princess with the tiny waist and the big sleeves and then having to make it in live action, you know. So then you have a skirt that's just humongous, you know, that weighs 40 pounds and, you know, 100 yards of fabric was taken to make it. And and here's Amy Adams running around, you know, in the Times Square and coming out of a men hall and we have to have 11 of these dresses. And But it's it's really, it's it's a dream to be able to, truly create like that you know the best part of that movie is when she has to clean the apartment and she just like how do you clean and opens the window oh and she's God. just like ah <laughs> and that her then her dress and skirt becomes into her apron of course magically <laughs> that movie is so funny uh another comedy the house bunny please tell me oh about the playboy God. mansion oh my god Anna Ferris <laughs> is just the best. I mean, at that time, she had the most killer body I ever worked with. I mean, my God, it was amazing. The only thing we had to do is give her a little bit of enhancement in, her, in this part, but it was like truly a dre dressing like a Barbie doll. She was so perfect. Um, and she's supposed to look like a Barbie doll, so and that works. And she's supposed to, yes. But again, you know, a great script, a great characters to play with, and... Um, it was very interesting because the writers were actually writers of a um, couple female female driven comedies, um, and they were very involved in in the process of of costume, which was really interesting. I never worked with with um, writers that closely. Um, they did Legally Blonde, which was you know good. We liked that movie. Like uh, a, it's yeah, like you, know, fine, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it was really fun because. It, you know, everything about that movie could have been very mean. And this is what we really didn't want it to do. We wanted, again, that she's lovable, that she's super cute, that she's adorable, you know, that she's just really just doing it from her heart. You know, she doesn't know any better. And, you know, having Emma Stone and, and Rimmer Willis and, you know, kind of a big ensemble was very challenging because I had to do three different looks on them. So first, we, you know, meet them kind of ugly and, you know, very completely not into fashion then you know she does the makeover on them so now we have all the seven girls that I had to completely do into a playboy makeover into the playboy bunnies and then the third transformation was when we are find they finding themselves and who now who they are you know so again the arc of the film and where do you go with it so you know the house bunny look was like crazy exploding with colors and you know sexy tight clothes and then in the end, they, again, like, had never been kissed, and they found themselves. Mm -hmm. They were kind of normal girls, if you can say normal for those girls, but they were just who they are, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what's so cool. I mean, I, I really love doing the female comedies and female-driven pictures because I really get to kind of show the girls it's okay to be who you are. It's okay to be whatever shape you are. And, and I think it's really important now more than ever, you know, that you can follow your own path, and you don't have to, you know, have the Kardashian face makeup and you can just 
truly be whatever size you want to be mm-hmm. and you can have your own personal styles and be cookie or you know be simple and um that's really important in my work you know mm-hmm. and and i want to bring the girliness back I, I really want girls to have fun and and you know dress up again and you don't have to be slutty you can really be truly be just you know a girly girl mm-hmm. or you can be slutty you can be slutty, of course, but I think that, you know, that's all, like, too much in our faces, too. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, like, you know, the big bots and everything that's kind of happening. It's, like, enough already, you know, like, do we have to? Of course, there are moments for it that are great, but I think, really, you know, can we be appreciated for who we are? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of movement with Me Too, with all of that stuff that's happening right now. It's, like, you know, the world has been kind of driven by men and, and maybe what we as women have to do to be a certain way because of that and I think that hopefully can change somehow because maybe we don't have to wear the horrible stilettos well maybe we don't have to rip the hair out every month or whatever Mm. like all that kind of stuff that we grew up that there is no other way really you know and I think ageism and all that stuff that's in Hollywood I mean you know women at a certain age that you know you have gray hair you know you're no longer really valuable because you're not looking a certain way. You know, men can look great in their 60s and, you know, still be called sexy, but women cannot. And I think that's changing too, which I think is beautiful. And I think that, you know, I hope that I can continue kind of bringing that work and that awareness to everything. And I mean, you know, we were talking about the the Gap brand and I think that's what's behind that is really important too to them, you know, that really bring that kind of self-awareness and, and happiness and how do you feel about yourself and who you are, you know, that you can really be anyone. You can be any color, you can be any size. And I think it's really important. You know, maybe it's not for our generation yet, but maybe for the future generation that they have it much easier, you know, that they don't really have to struggle with, with that with that kind of constrictive things that we have Mm -hmm. you know I mean really we we, you know we have to put the makeup we have to put the push-up bra we have to do high heels we have to do spanks I mean we have to Mm -hmm. do all of that stuff it's like whoa and now we look good yeah so I mean that's why I love Drew Barrymore you know I work with her and she's a hippie she rounds around you know with no makeup and her dogs and Alicia Silverstone is a vegan and she's like you know really promoting the saving animals and writing books about you know healthy eating and it's like those are the girls that we, you know, really should be looking up to. And uh, and I think that it's great that they're staying power, too. Mm-hmm. So what's up next for you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm reading a script about Millie Vanilli. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun to do. That would be really fun to do. If you had to pick one character across your, your, your canon that really represented you, who would you say that was? Me? Yeah. One of the oh characters that God. you dressed. I don't know. I don't think there exists one. I'm kind of a meditation guru, and you know, <laughs> I run around in the hills of Silver Lake, you know, and uh, do yoga, and I don't know. You're clueless, like part three. Yeah, I You're think the so. Continuation. I think so. <laughs> so at the end of uh, every episode of my podcast, I do something called the Bring Back, which is inspired by a list that I created in my time capsule of all my favorite things at that cert- at that particular time. If you were to, if you were to bring back three things from the '90s that aren't currently back, what would you bring? Fanny pack. Fanny, yep. I love fanny packs. So practical. <laughs> but it has to be fabulous. Um, uh, hmm. Plaid, for right. sure. Berets, I love. Yeah, pa- well, those, those are back. Yeah, I love berets. I really. I was in Berlin right now, and so many girls were wearing berets. I was like, yes, 
why LA is too hot for berets? I need to make them out of cotton. Yeah, like a like a sun protective beret. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Well, that well, that's oh, actually, we're gonna move it on to audience audience questions. Right. Sorry, I forgot Yay. that. Okay, Marie's gonna come around with the mic. So my question is kind of, uh, I'm a big fan. Um, I'm wondering actually about your views on the red carpet. Because I look back at like, and Randy, you do this all the time on your Instagram. Like we look back at the red carpet from the 90s and the Grammys and the Oscars. And people really just had fun with it. And took chances and did like Celine Dion and the backwards tuxedo is like my favorite thing in the world. And now people just kind of wear whatever's on the runway. Well, it's so corporate. (laughs) It's so corporate. It's like, oh, it really drives me crazy, you know. And stylists are boring. They just, just, it's, it's sad. I mean, it's really sad. Nobody takes the risks anymore. And I don't know. I, I, I think we forgot to have fun. Is know? there anyone, though, that is current that maybe still has that pizzazz of the 90s? Not really. I mean, Cindy Lauper will forever be fabulous. But, you know, it's, it's all gowns. It's just all gowns. Hey there, Mona. Hello. Just wondering, what's the quickest time you've ever made a dress in? If you had to whip something up super quick, how quickly could you do it? 12 hours. Wow. <laughs> by, the, by the way, that question was from my sister who took me to see Clueless. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy the time we have to remake stuff. I mean, it's... Even in Rami and Michelle, we had, we had uh, the, one of the black suits... Um, Mira didn't like something, you know, when we had our final fitting, I think it was like 6 p.m. And I think they were on at 5 a.m., you know, the next day. And we had to actually call the fabric store to stay open late so I could go over there, keep the seamstress on, you know, like stay up all night and and fix something that she didn't like. And then we was ready by the next day, 6 a.m. Yeah, so those those things are nerve-wracking, but they do happen. Hi. Um, Yeah, I was wondering if, uh, there's been any movie that you've seen over the past 20 years that you wish you had done the work on? My uh, Fair Lady. <laughs> <laughs> but like a more contemporary movie <laughs> over the past like 20 years, whether it was like um, Blade Runner or anything like that. Blade Runner, no. I, I think I, I would have done a much better job on Beauty and the Beast, the last one. <laughs> right? I think so. I think so. You know. Um, but I, I love fantasy. I would love to do more fantasy and really kind of create weird stuff. You know, I love it. Um, more than kind of going to the past, I think, and having to recreate something. I'd rather be more creative. Hi, Mona. Hey. Um, I want to know, what could we do as your audience that would inspire you and give you the power and the momentum to actually make a movie the way you want to make it now like to bring like just to add to that question you had like what could we do as an audience what what could we do to make you have more ability to bring fabulous artistic quality back well, I into think it's film? not just me I think it's really the people need to see more of the films that are smaller films you know the films that really matter I think that the problem is again it's it's all corporate you know the the big movies the Marvel movies to make the money. So that's what they're going to go. They're going to you know, show them in China and 300 billion people are going to see them. So for them to do, it, it doesn't even, it, it's not monetarily, they don't get money back when they're doing romantic comedies. I mean, we talked about it. It's so sad that it really, you know, the way that you pitch movie these days, it's not like, oh, I have a great script. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, this, this actor has this many points in China. 
you know, so it's a completely, it, it's, it's a disjointed process. You know, it's not about creativity anymore. And I think that as audience, we have to ask for this sophistications of things, you know, that we can't just be satisfied with the stuff that's mediocre, you know, and I think that's happening more and more, you know, it's like these shows that are popular and you're going, why, you know, who is watching it, but that's what sells and they're going to make more of it. So I yeah. think, you know, really looking at the indies and, and I mean, Lady Bird, I think it's a fantastic phenomenon, you know, I mean, this is great. It will make more of those movies and it will also bring more female directors because now they're like, okay, they are bankable. They actually can make a movie that's, that's going to be, you know, an Oscar nominated film. So that, that's, I think the change that can happen, you know, it's really, it, it's, being sophisticated in a way and making the choices that are better for everybody. You know, I think the easy way out is that's where we end up in the in this world, you know, that we just don't really want to pay attention, we don't want to hear about things. So I think we have to be super aware. Mm -hmm. What do we want and how can we bring that change, you know? But making the right decisions, you know, I mean it's it's everything from not drinking from plastic bottles. It's it's all that kind of stuff. I mean they're gonna say not drinking. Hmm? They no. were going to say not drink. drinking. Drinking. <laughs> from, from glass bottles. Uh, yeah, from glass bottles. <coughs> Any other questions? I have, I have two questions. Is that, is that okay that's, that's to cool. fire up? Yeah? Okay. Um, I think I'm now. answering for you. Um, I have two questions. Uh, one is, what is something in your kit that you couldn't live without? Mm. And another question is, um, what are some of your advice for people who are trying to like break into... Uh, costume designing okay I can't live out without my scissors good scissors because I like to cut things <laughs> and make them you know fit shorter. better shorter <laughs> change the sleeve and double stick tape so it's like okay I gotta fix it something is showing and safety pins safety pins I love they actually there's black safety pins which are really amazing because you can't see them when you pin things um, and the advice I would I would have for someone I mean if this is this is a very difficult job in a way because, I mean, you really are like a, you know, a gypsy on the road all the time. So you have to really love it. I think that you really have to love it and dedicate yourself to that because you may not have that white picket fence house with the kids and, you know, be home at dinner for five o'clock. Um, but I think if you are really creative person and this is the path you want to choose you know I think start assisting and start being an intern you know find out who is the designer and reach out to them I mean I get emails through my website and people say I love your movies you know you your movies uh, made me want to be a costume designer you know can you help me and I mentor people you know because this is something it's a passion I mean if it really is something that you want to you know be on set for the 14 hours and you want to be the one that brings the coffee in the morning and that's that's how you're going to learn and, and grow and you know be part of the team and then advance you know because this is this is uh, I think the best way to kind of connect with people that you love their work uh, and I, there's a big industry here in Toronto you know really big industry that you can there is a costume designer right here that you could speak to and you know she can tell you about <laughs> jobs possibilities and you know internships I mean there's a lot of television that gets shot here in film same in Vancouver so there's a lot of possibilities, I think, for someone who wants to do that. So you worked with a lot of uh, actresses and actors through your career. Has And everyone has their own opinion on style, like their own personal mm -hmm. opinion on style. Has any actress or actor ever taught you something on style that you didn't consider previously? Good question. Hmm, good question. Um, I think 
they've taught me maybe of a process, you know, and how they, they do their process. I did a movie with Nicole Kidman and it was one of the best learning experiences with her because she was so professional and so into the character. She came into the fitting, it was called, the movie was called Just Go With It with um, Jennifer Aniston. And it was a very comedic part, but she was very, you know, it was a high-end clothing. So we flew to Nashville and, you know, I was nervous and, and uh, didn't really know what to expect. And she walked into the room and she was, she knew the character, she knew the scenes. She, you know, really gravitated to my clothes. We, we were kind of in a sink and we went through a fitting uh, for seven changes in 45 minutes. And it was just truly exhilarating because it was like, wow, somebody who is so, so professional, so an actor, you know, was not shopping for herself. And I mean, they were $8,000 Gucci dresses and stuff, which, you know, we could all lose our shit over. But <laughs> she just really knew. And, you know, we really, we, we used, had the accessories, the glasses, we did the hats, everything head to toe. And it was such a great process. And I think that's what's so wonderful when you really meet people who are, you know, at the best of their game and really get it and it's like it makes you want to be at you know at best your or your game and that's really fun you know that's really fun or Drew Barrymore I mean when we were doing we were talking about it we were doing Never Been Kissed there was a store in LA called Lomans at the time which was kind of like you know the the high designers were resold there and there was before the cell phones and they had one big dressing room for everybody, and she would go shopping with me, and we would just get a bunch of clothes, go into the main dressing room and try clothes on. Here's Drew Barrymore, because she just really wanted to be into the process. I mean, now it wouldn't be possible with the cell phones, but, you know, it's that kind of dedication is really kind of getting in there, you know, and that's really, um, I think, exciting, and um, it makes me kind of go, wow, I love my job. I really, you know, I'm with these people who really take it as seriously as I do. It's inspiring, you know? So I don't know if that kind of answers your questions, but that's oh. for fun for oh, me. There's, I guess that's the last question. Yeah, this one's just small. We were talking earlier and you mentioned Instagram and I was trying to find you and I'm sure there's a bunch of people here that are curious because they're probably going to want to follow you and Yay. all of that. So what is your Instagram? It's Mona May. So it's I-T-S-M-O-N-A-M-A-Y. It's Mona May. <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> she has like a celebrity account, you know, like it's me, Layton. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you're a celebrity when it's like yeah. it's me. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, Randy. Yeah, so thank. Thank you so much to The Gap for having us. Yes. And thank you to Mona May for flying in from L.A. for our little our little cats. Yes. Our little event. And, uh, yeah, follow follow Mona at It's Mona May on Instagram. And don't forget to follow Capsule 98 and, of course, Gap. Yeah, check out the clothes. I mean, the sweatshirts are to die for. I was, I was looking at all the uh, uh, people who work here at the store, and they were such cute things. I'm like, I want that. I want that. I want that. <laughs> I'm basically wearing like a version of like what I would have worn from 1995 to 19, like 2000. <laughs> I'm wearing it right now. And the <laughs> shoes, we were, we were commenting on the fabulous shoes. Very Rami and it's Michelle. Inspired by you without me knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody. Hey, bye guys. Bye.